1: Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning
2: Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm speaking to you from New York City. On this, the 28th day of May, 2019, and I always like to remind you that I'm the author of Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. Sign up for that by going to miningstocks.com. I'd like to encourage you to consider signing up for Chen's newsletter, What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? Go to chenpicks.com for that. And also Michael Oliver, it's olivermsa.com. We'll be talking to Mike in just a few minutes from now. And I do want to thank all of you for for listening to this show. And, and please send along your comments, questions, or whatever you have, thoughts you have about this show. Send them along to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com also want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. For today's show, our sponsors are Klondike Gold, Novo Resources, RN Resources, and StrikePoint Gold. Now, before we get started with today's show, I would like to advise you that there were uh, that both Novo Resources and Klondike Gold, the two, two of the Sponsors, as just noted, released two very important news releases today. Noble Resources talked about its mineralization report from its Caratha project and how it is planning to proceed with its exploration program there over the next few months. And Dr. Quentin Henning Henning will be with me during the second segment of today's show. And I'm sure he'll talk uh, more about the press release today as well as the three projects that the company is working on in Australia. And Peter Tallman's uh, Gold Klondike, Klondike Gold announced today that it's beginning uh, to drill at the Klond- on the Klondike property. Now, this is particularly exciting to me because, as you heard last week, if you listened to, to uh, Peter last week, Klondike now believes that they have discovered the structural controls – where the high-grade gold gold exists, uh, located in their 563-square-kilometer property in the Yukon. And, you know, they've been finding a lot of lower-grade disseminated uh, gold mineralization, which is very important from a longer-term perspective. But what really gets the stock uh, investors excited in these junior gold stocks are some high-grade hits. Uh, Peter said, and I quote, our press release is in time for your show today. He sent me this email, and he said, our press release is in time for your show today. We have started drilling at Gay Gulch and El Dorado Fault. Now, you haven't heard much about El Dorado Fault, unlike the Parallel Nugget Fault and the Bonanza Fault, where Lone Star is. Hopefully, with this drill program and some related surface investigations, we will start talking about it more. Uh, It won't take long to complete the short seven-hole program some of these holes can be drilled in a 12-hour shift uh, and so I'm suggesting that any of you who own this stock uh, might want to keep a close eye on what uh, happens we should start getting some drill results very soon and I believe that they are targeting these high-grade intercepts where the management now believes they have um, have figured out where the structural controls are so that's very exciting but speaking of high-grade results now just out off the press great bear who has been a sponsor of this show up until a week or so ago, he just came out with some really exciting news on its Red Lake property, specifically 12.33 grams of gold per ton over 14 meters, including 30.9 grams per ton over 4.6 meters, and 194.21 grams of gold over 2 meters, and that includes 759.38 grams of gold over a half a meter, in multiple shallow gold zones, at a brand new discovery that they just made uh, at Great Bear, and I'm looking at the uh, I'm looking at the stock. It just started trading shortly before we went on the air, and it is up about let's see, it's up uh, 36 cents today. That's uh, a 16% rise on the information. Very exciting news. So uh, I I expect uh, hopefully we'll have Chris Taylor on the show sometime in the near future. But these are really exciting numbers a really exciting uh, industry when you start hitting some good high-grade uh, results. Anyway, uh, today's show I've titled The Dollar is a U.S. Problem. Dan Oliver, Dr. Quentin Henning, and Michael Oliver return as guests. The dollar system was founded at Bretton Woods and rests on three pillars, American military supremacy, American financial hegemony, and American economic prowess. Russia and China are challenging America's military power. And a new eastern trading bloc and the euro are challenging America's financial hegemony. And America's debt problem is challenging uh, its economic prowess. So those are topics that I'll be uh, talking to Dan Oliver about uh, during the second half of today's show. And I want to ask Don to discuss each of these threats to the American prosperity and, and provide a prediction of what those threats might mean to the dollar hegemony, and uh, by extension, of course, to the price of gold. And as I just noted, Dr. Henning uh, will be with me in the second segment of today's show, Dr. Quinton Henning, um, and uh, he'll give us an update on what Novo is doing. Very exciting news, now not as exciting as when they first made those great discoveries, uh, those gold nuggets, uh, but the work is continuing, and I think longer term, this still remains one of my top picks and one of my I think, most exciting stories that we're covering among a growing list of exciting stories. But right now, we have Michael Oliver with us, and uh, thank you for joining me again, Michael. Hi,
3: Jay. Good to be back.
2: Good to have you with us, as always, and uh, it's good to tell our listeners it's olivermsa.com, olivermsa.com, to learn more about Michael's work, and specifically, if you're interested in the precious metals, he has a lower-priced, very useful uh, service that keeps you abreast of the precious metals. Uh, Michael, you have been saying, and have been saying for some time, that you think that we need to see the equity markets get weaker uh, before we're going to see any kind of meaningful rise in the price of gold. Could you explain? I mean, that hasn't always been true. Sometimes they run in unison, uh, but right now you're suggesting that they're going in opposite directions. Generally, they're not. They're not uh, linked in positive correlation any longer.
3: Uh, yeah, I, I think that's the case. I think the divorce occurred in 2011. And uh, it was prior to that they were in sync. Uh, gold, was on the upside, uh, w- would lead the S and P in terms of percent gains during those years from 2000 to 2011. Uh, but the basic large surges and drops were fairly coincident. Gold, for example, collapsed into late 2008. Well, the s and peaked in early, late 2007, but started its collapse in the latter part, summer and fall of 2008. Gold joined in at that point, and it collapsed as well. They both turned in early 2009 from their lows. And uh, gold went from, a, uh, let's see, it was $680 and went to a 1920 mm-hmm. between uh, that 2009 low and late 2011. During that same time, the S&P advanced, but nowhere near as much. But they were in sync. But uh-huh. then in late 2011, the S&P was making a sell-off low after the European debt crisis. Remember, in the summer of 2011, it had a big hit in the S&P yeah. and the, the German index and so forth. Uh, and it made a low, and the central banks went crazy at that point in terms of policy, and that drove the developed market indices up big time. At that point, gold divorced and went down. Uh, it topped in eleven, collapsed in uh, late 2012, early 2013, At that point, it's totally opposite now. So the people who are still focused on issues like, well, if the S&P collapses, well, gold collapse, yeah, that was true in 2008, but since then, their major moves have been opposite. Uh, In fact, if you just go back over the last year or so, uh, even some of the moderate and minor moves in terms of peaks and troughs are inverse, some of them pretty good inverse, Mm -hmm. some almost precisely. Just a a recent example, for example, we had the run-up in gold two weeks ago, and it spiked up over 1,300. So mm-hmm. May thirteenth, Monday morning. Uh, that was the same time the S and P made its low for this move at twenty eight oh one, almost within hours. Uh, inverse, and the S and P since then bounced sharply, uh, rallied about three percent after that twenty eight oh one low over the next week or so. And gold did what? Backed off about three percent from the thirteen oh two high close that it had in May thirteenth. Uh, and since then, gold's gone into a congestion zone between the highs and lows. And what's the S and P done? going into congestion between the, that high and the lows. Uh, so we're getting very similar action in this case, uh, uh, even 10 down to the day. So I think the people who are worried about uh, a major stock market drop, which we think is going to happen, uh, mm-hmm. It will be the opposite this time. I think it, we, you're bringing investors into gold, and you can see it when the S&P gets whacked. Not necessarily to the hour, like it was Monday uh, a few weeks ago, but the inverse relationship is good. Now, also look back, for example, uh, S&P made its second of its three peaks back in August, September of last year, prior to that late 2018 collapse. Mm-hmm. It went from a high at 24, uh, 29.40 all the way down to 23.50 in the latter part of the year. But it, As the S and P was making that marginal new high above the January 2018 high, doing Mm -hmm. it in August September of 2018, what was gold doing? Making a low around 1160. Mm -hmm. What happened between then? Gold ground its way up and then finally shot up with real strength late in 2018. December was quite a month. And what happened to the S and P? It arm wrestled its way down and then collapsed into December 2018. Now, what's really interesting though is this: not Uh, just the inverse relationship. But lately, and I think this is evidence of investor shift, regardless of S&P's rally. It doesn't impress them. For example, why is not gold back down near the August 2018 low at 11.60? After all, S&P went up and marginally nipped out the high of that period. So if gold were equally as weak as the S&P was strong, it would be back down there. So instead, since that August low of last year in gold, Gold went from about 39.8% of the price level of the S&P. It's now over 45% of the price level of the S&P. So mm-hmm. despite all the noise and the opposite zigzags, gold has gained ground relative to the S&P since that low. D- despite the fact that S&P went to a new high, it still mm-hmm. set that. Yeah. So it, it shows that even though the S&P went up again to a marginal new high, we should fail that, uh, the money did not flee gold market. It, some of yeah. it backed out, but you don't hit a moderate pullback. So yeah. that indicates to me some resolute nature of investor buying in gold. Um, you know, yeah. it, The hand is firmer than it was back in August of last year.
2: Sure, sure. So, well, anyway, Michael... Going forward,
3: uh, no, was, go ahead.
2: No, you go ahead. Go ahead.
3: No, uh, but, but going forward, I think gold investors need to... to Uh, be aware of that fact that we are in the divorce situation versus the developed market stock indices and not to fear the issue of uh, repetition of the late 2008 collapse in the stock market in which gold participated. I think it's exact opposite now. If anything, an S&P collapse will further encourage investors moving across the line and to the gold market.
2: Right. Well, Michael, what about the Treasury? You know, who... Obviously, most of the money flows into the treasuries when it comes out of the equities, right? So, risk off, it goes to treasuries. Maybe a bit of it goes to gold, as you're suggesting. But, uh, you know, what do you see going forward? Do you still see that for the treasuries? Treasury rates coming down a lot? Well, hopefully they'll
3: benefit. Right now, they're quite strong, by the way. They're making new highs for this recent move. Yes. So, uh, the treasury sent something. uh, fairly immediate on the horizon, I think. And I don't think it's some long-term interest rate situation here uh, when you're dealing with the 30-year and the 10-year. I think the move there is, in fact, a flight to safety. Uh, and therefore, the question is, why is the money flowing so resolutely and suddenly now into the Treasury market over the last few weeks while the S&P is congested after its recent drop? I think that the bond, since that recent congestion in the S&P, is not going to prevail. And that, you know, a few weeks from now, the S and P might not be anywhere around where it is right now. <laughs>
2: right. Right. So that should provide some uh, some wind at the back of the gold investors and and gold uh, share people as well. I would think, and and probably the treasury markets. But how much lower can these rates go? For goodness sakes.
3: No, I think that you know it could be a spike in the T bonds if the S and P breaks. And you know, speed is the issue. It's not a slow S and P decline, but a rapid one with. Is what engenders that you know, flight to quality stuff. Uh, I do suspect. And this is a, I don't want to emphasize it too much. I think if the S and P does snap rapidly sometime in the next few weeks, and I we have a suspicion that could happen, that the move in gold will also be rapid. So it'll be opposite, but also of the same tenor and tone, but reversed of the S and P. As uh, there are very few places on the planet <laughs> to put money. Uh, uh, developed market stock indices are not working well. Japan, Europe, uh, our market's working better than theirs. So we've attracted a lot of foreign capital into the U.S. Yeah. stock market. But it's it's a loaded yeah. boat right now. The U.S. stock yeah. market it's loaded with foreign capital, and I think once that money starts to flow out, it's also going to whack the dollar. Yeah. Uh, uh, the dollar is somewhat in sync with the S and P now, by the way, uh, in in our view. Uh, mm-hmm. And also, the dollar is an issue that a lot of gold people look at and say, well, gee, the dollar is so strong. How can gold be up? Well, that's a good question, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, since last August, if you used the dollar as your reference point, whether to buy or not buy gold, you wouldn't have bought gold. Because the dollar has right. remained steady to firm. It's, it's gained, well, 1% since August 2018 high. It was a rally high in the dollar when gold was making it slow. But the dollar held in there, whereas gold rallied 10%. With no help from a weak dollar. Yeah. In fact, right now the dollar is one percent higher than it was ten months ago, which is a trivial, but it's still higher. And yet, gold is now you know not eleven sixty something; it's uh, twelve eighty. You
2: know. Yeah. So, uh, you so would things are looking up. Things are looking up, by by up for the gold buds. Huh? Things are looking. We've had a lot of people very concerned because gold's going nowhere, Michael. But it seems to me uh, that the sun is about to shine on the gold markets, and uh, people shouldn't be in despair.
3: No, I I fully agree, and I I also think that uh, if it's going through the mid-1300s, which we think so, and that's a very clear level for the price folks, they'll get excited when you do that. Uh, I think it'll be suddenly. I don't think it'll be an erosional rally. I think it'll be a a thunderbolt. And it probably might be reflective of the opposite for the S&P.
2: All right, we're going to have to leave it go at that, Michael. We're out of time. Thank you for that great overview of these. You uh, you know, the, the relationship between these markets. It's always important to understand to understand him thank you so much well folks uh we do have to go to break but i'd like to tell you that i see uh, great bear is up now 41 cents in canadian money it's up almost 19 percent today on that great drilling news it is an exciting time and we're going to go to break and when we come back we'll be talking to dr quentin henning who is also involved with another exciting story noble resources so don't go away we'll be right back with dr quentin henning
4: Its flagship assets are located in the Karatha region of Western Australia, where they are currently drilling and trenching their Purdy's reward project. In addition, Novo has partnered with Sumitomo Mining Corporation to advance its Beaton's Creek Gold project toward production. With over $70 million in cash and strong shareholder support from the likes of Kirkland Lake Gold, Novo is well on its way to establishing itself as one of the top junior explorers and developers in Australia. StrikePoint Gold, trading under SKP on the TSX and STKXF on the OTC, has a market cap of under $10 million. StrikePoint is a new player in the Golden Triangle of BC and Canada. Focus will be on drilling the Willoughby Project in 2019. Prior drilling delivered over 20 meters of 25 grams per ton gold and 184 grams per ton silver. Recent receding glaciers have identified new gold targets. Neighboring projects have been acquired by StrikePoint's largest shareholder, Ascot, Eric Sprott, and Skina round out the other top shareholders.
1: Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN.
2: Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really glad to have with me once again Dr. Quentin Henning of Novel Resources. Uh, welcome, Dr. Henning. Thanks for joining me again. Thank you, Derek. You know, I'd like to start out by asking you uh, a little bit about your comment, Well and Purdy's Reward Discoveries, because that's where all of the action was in 2017 that drove your share price up to as high as around uh, 8 dollars 5 in Canadian money. So uh, perhaps we can start out there. I'd like to find out what you're doing there, if you uh, what your exploration plans are there, uh, since that's where all the excitement started out uh, a couple of years ago.
0: Certainly Jay uh, as you see today we issued a news release talking about our mineralization report we have completed that uh, I had to pass it under you know several people's nose to, to review over the past week or two uh, but it's finalized now and it most importantly explains where we can take some uh, large scale book samples and, and kind of the next steps forward so I would advise people to read the news release but in, in short here's what we're looking at the project come uh, at Clement Well and Purdy's reward. Uh, very nuggety gold, as everyone knows. But we've tackled this before at Beaton's Creek, you know, about 300 kilometers east of Carretham. We, we tackled a similar project, not quite as nuggety, but, you know, it was nuggety. It was a challenge for us initially, but we overcame it. And we recently announced a significant resource upgrade, as well as achieving, uh, ac- you know, application for uh, mining uh, at Beaton's Creek. It's been approved. It's actually ready for mining. And our mining uh, lease has been approved as well. So these are, these are kind of seminal steps for us. Uh, you know, at we see a similar path now to what we undertook at Beaton's Creek. Um, we, we do anticipate doing a large-scale bulk sampling program similar to the one we did at Beaton's Creek a couple of years back. Uh, we can see that as providing the, the technical input that we need to really understand the deposit, understand grades, uh, you know, understand processing techniques, so forth. Uh, but it, it also could help us potentially lead to uh, putting a resource to Carartha, to which is very important here. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, we see a similar path. We've done it before. We're we're ready to go to the hard yards, and uh, we're very excited. We also have uh, some work going on right now, some mapping uh, that extends the, the strike of the conglomerates at Purdy's Reward and Comet Well. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've also found some, interestingly, some mineralization and fairly high-grade mineralization in the basement. So uh, Good. the picture is is morphing, but it's growing, uh, and we anticipate quite a bit of uh, progress this year. You know, don't forget ore sorting. Ore sorting will be a very important component of the work going forward. We see that as a critical
2: um, you know, yeah technique that will be of value. That's very exciting. Actually, the the ore sorting uh, could could just be dramatically. Uh, it could dramatically improve the economics, I should think. There, uh, especially not so much, I guess. At, not so much, I guess, at uh, at Beaton's uh, at Beaton's Creek. It's more to do with the the larger nuggeting uh, effect up at Cometwell and Purdue's Board, right? That's correct. You know, we
0: did our test work late last year, and had some uh, news releases early this year that talk about the the success of that ore sorting uh, technique. And it, it's just astonishing, you know, to see a machine that can actually pick gold particles or pick rocks with gold particles embedded in them out from, uh, you know, a huge amount of waste material. So, you know, we see a great deal of promise. Um, I'd advise people to read the news release because th- that we issued today because it talks about the, the potential benefits we could see from ore sorting and how we could implement grade control at comma. well in uh, Purdy'sville Ward as well. You know, this is a, a challenging deposit. How do you, how do you define the boundaries of it? Well, if you're putting rock through on a continual basis, you can actually use the the computer that's driving the ore sorting process to help you quantify uh, grades. You know, mm-hmm. almost instantaneously. That's kind of a uh, instant feedback type approach. But and quite frankly, I don't know of any other deposit, at least gold deposit, that uses a similar approach. They might do it with diamonds. I don't know, mm-hmm. uh, but this is very innovative.
2: Very innovative. I mean, it just stands to reason if a, a really large—I don't remember what the sort of percentages were—but the vast, the the vast quantity of rock uh, was barren, did not have gold in it, but was able to take out a very small percentage of that mass that had gold. And so, if you could leave the barren rock behind and just you know concentrate the high grade, wow, what a! Uh, what a what an improvement! Uh, what a cost reducer that would be. Well, that's I know right. that. Y- I, go ahead. I see, that's right. That's correct. Yeah, you know, um, you cut your teeth then at, at Beaton's Creek, uh, and you learned an awful lot about conglomerate gold and how to how, how it was. In a way, it was really quite good because it wasn't nearly as nuggety, but quite nuggety at Beaton's Creek, and that really helped prepare you for for an even more nuggety project uh, over there at uh, Comet uh, Comet Well and Purdue's Reward. So that's those great. are so. What might we expect from those two projects? What kind of news m- might we expect then going forward over the next several months from from Beaton's Creek and um, uh, Karatha?
0: Sure, at Caratha, uh, what we expect is uh, final plans for bulk sampling, large scale bulk sampling. The reference that's made in today's news release gives people a sense of what scale we're looking at. You know, it's on the order of a hundred thousand tons. Hmm. Uh, we wow. do have sample sites uh, identified from the, the mineralization report. And by the way, the mineralization report is not a 43101 compliant report. We cannot publish that, but we are updating the 43101 report for Caruther uh, based on the information that's in the mineralization report, and that'll be issued in the not too distant future. But uh, it'll show the five uh, recommended areas for bulk sampling at Caruther. We'll we'll figure out. Right now, believe it or not, it looks like the best way to proceed there is uh, not necessarily go the mining uh, lease application route uh, first. So I think we can pull this off by um, working with the with the mares in Western Australia see so if we can uh, achieve the bulk sampling through another avenue. So I'll, that's very positive. Uh, we also have to, to you know do a little bit of additional work on the ore sorting to, to get... Uh, kind of an optimal, optimal scenario for ore sorting worked out. Uh, what we're doing there is we're looking at how to treat the finer grain material, you know, that when they crush it, there's a fraction of material that's, say, less than uh, six or eight millimeters, In mm-hmm. that size range that we're, we're looking at how to, to treat that material. Mm-hmm. And we have made some headway there. Um, and then at Beaton's Creek, like I said earlier, we've got now uh, our mining application's been fully approved, so it's ready. It's basically dressed up and ready for the dance. Uh, we're doing this um, option study at the moment. We're looking at various scenarios about how to treat Beaton's Creek. And quite frankly, you know, the, the resource that we announced is nearly twice the size of the resource back in twenty fifteen, say that, that we announced then. And it, you know, we see that as a, a seminal step to to building something that's larger scale, more sustainable, uh, you know, over the long term. It's sure. you know more of a conventional project we'll call it. So so we're very excited about the advancements we've made there.
2: Yeah, and I think you still have some exploration potential there at Beaton's Creek. Correct, yes. right. All right. um, Well, uh, I'd like to ask you about Edgina because you haven't said anything yet about Edina, And and correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems to me that that might be the target, the one of those three projects that might have the most immediate gratification in terms of maybe cash flow. I don't know. You're going to do some bulk
0: sampling there? (laughs) That's correct. Look, we put out a news release uh, updating activities at Edina about a week ago. Um, like you said, it's it's slow-hanging fruit. I mean, this is a, an interesting project. It's basically a gravel horizon that sits right at the surface. Uh, we've now done uh, some some work that indicates it's a, f- a fairly flat, continuous sheet of gravel. It's gold bearing. We hope it's gold bearing consistently throughout, or at least to it to a degree that one can mine it. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. So we're, we're doing that work this year. We're preparing. We're doing ground penetrating radar. We're, we're doing some mapping. We're doing some other like auger drilling and things like this to really uh, get to the nitty gritty about the thickness of the horizon. And then we'll do the bulk sampling in a few weeks and process those samples on a routine basis. This is free dig material. sits right at surface. We're tackling um, an area that's—it's already actually been disturbed there at the edge of the mining lease. This was an area that uh, the gentleman who owned the property before us did some metal detecting uh, not too long ago. So we have access to a, a pretty bit, big swath within the existing mining lease. Uh, really, what we want to get out of this exercise is establish all the protocols for defining a resource on this nuggety gold, mm-hmm. but also, you know, get some sense of how we can mine it and, and, and that, too. It's it's an interesting project because it's really exploration combined with an element of, uh, you know, bulk sampling that, that could ultimately lead to... Uh, ideas about how we could process it on a commercial basis. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a gravity recovery, a very coarse gold. Uh, if people want to get a sense of the, the gold that we're dealing with, I'd advise them to look back at the news release from December of last year, where we talk about the grade from the initial bulk sample. You can see the photographs of the gold that was recovered. These are very coarse-grained stuff. You know, these are uh, nuggets on the order of two millimeters or greater, at least the bulk of the gold is. Um, very easy to recover. Okay, So it's, it's just got everything working for it uh, in terms of geology. Now, uh, we are on the Aboriginal Reserve in that area. Uh, this, this reserve extends over the edge of the mining lease, but the mining lease, as most people know, we, we've got that carved out. That's, that's ours. It's um, a long-term lease with the government. We've got all the exploration ground around it tied up. Uh, but we are working with Aboriginals on how to advance the bigger picture. Okay, mm-hmm. This is really critical because this target isn't just a one little corner. You know, it's not just a postage stamp. Mm-hmm. This thing covers literally, you know, potentially hundreds of square kilometers. All mm-hmm. right. So we are uh, we're actively uh, engaged with the, the Aboriginal corporation in that area. And, uh, you know, there's been some, some movement on that front, which is very interesting. Uh, we've got, you know, a sense of what... Um, where they're at you know we've gotten to know them fairly well what uh, what needs they have uh, we also um, you know they changed a law firm recently which uh, the law firm that they've engaged with is one that we've had some dealings with in the past so we see that as a positive sign um, there's a lot of things working for us there uh, we do see making headway over the next few weeks or even few months uh, on that front and being able to expand out from the mining onto the exploration ground around us. Mm-hmm. you know, And that's critical, and if we show the world that this sheet of gravel contains gold over a broad area, mm-hmm. I think it will really open up
2: people's eyes and they'll, they'll realize uh, how important this asset is. So, how soon do you think we might start getting a picture of uh, the consistency or lack thereof of, of gold mineralization in this deposit? Sure, I mean, will, will we know a lot more in the next few months? Yeah, absolutely. So this is, uh, fortunately, this is a, a relatively easy
0: uh, deposit to work with for dig. So we're going to start digging samples on the order of 100 tons each. These are bulk samples. Uh, we'll do it on a gridded basis. In other words, we'll have a kind of a systematic approach. Uh, and we can process those samples. Most importantly, we can process them through our, our little IDR 3000 plant that's at Station Peak. So we'll be trucking the samples back there. We'll, we'll start feeding them through in a staged approach. They're upgrading the plant right now. They're nearly done with those upgrades. Uh, I'd say we'll start digging samples here in a few weeks, maybe a couple weeks, and then start processing, processing them towards the end of June or early July. And that will give us uh, a good indication, like we should be able to tell the market, yep, yep, there's gold in these samples you know, on a routine basis. Uh, and you know, just the, the initial area that we're targeting, I would say, you know, two or three months, we should have most of the samples processed through there. Uh, and then, you know, if we get access to the ground around it, you know, we can we can expand the exploration significantly. Uh, you know, touch wood, if we find there is a degree of consistency, then we can probably expand our, our spacing on samples mm-hmm. and start to, uh, to be more aggressive with this thing. What I would like by the end of this year is to have not only uh, a picture of what's, you know, how we define a resource on these gravels at Edgena Mining Lease itself, but I want to see, I want to show the world that the deposit, like I said earlier, continues out onto the greater terrace and that there's uh, potential for something much, much more vast here.
2: Well, as I understand it, Quentin, uh, Edgena is really a weathered portion of the uh, of the conglomerate to the west so it, it extends over to Comet Well and Purdue's reward. Do I have that right? That's absolutely correct. We actually find pieces
0: of weather conglomerate in the, the trenches in this gravel material. In fact we found nuggets inside some of those chunks of conglomerate. Mm-hmm. So we know a lot of the gold is coming from the conglomerate itself as it weathered away the gold was liberated and mixed into these gravels. But interestingly uh, we've been doing a lot of metal detecting uh, in preparation for our upcoming work, and we've found quite a, a few—not not dominantly, but you know, a, a significant number of what we call hackly or, or angular gold nuggets that are derived from veins in the basement. So we actually see the basement is also kicking off. Or producing some level of coarse gold you know these would be veins that are hosted immediately in the foot wall of the gravel horizon
2: so it would have been a different uh, origin than, than the precipitation event that you've been talking about in, in the conglomerates uh
0: yes or no the the formation that hosts those veins is called the Malina group and it was actually deposited at 2.9 billion years oh. interestingly there are conglomerates in the Malina group now i we don't have enough information. I can talk too broadly about it, but yeah. we do think there is some interesting potential in that formation. So so hold tight on that. I think, you know, personally, my gut says a lot of the gold that we see in those little veins or that's coming out of the veins uh, was actually initially a precipitation event cause it because it fits right in the right time horizon, but it was remobilized into the veins. And now what we're seeing as a product, uh, you know, derived from that. But uh, we have some, uh, we'll call it, you know, quasi-academic work that we're we're doing right now that should give us some answers by the end of this year.
2: All right. Well, just uh, we're really running out of time here. So I have to ask you, uh, with three projects going on, uh, you've you've got to be burning through quite a bit of cash, Quentin. And I'm and I know that you just recently announced uh, some twenty million dollars or so that you pulled in from warrants being exercised. But how is your treasury right now, given given all of this activity? It's speeding up a lot in the cooler months of sure. Australia. Yeah, yeah.
0: This is the busy season right now. So the twenty million actually came in over the past couple of years. Okay, a lot of those warrants were exercised, you know, back in even late twenty seventeen. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Um, So we have about 50, I think 51 million or thereabouts right now. Uh, We will be spending on the order of a million and a half to two million a month for the next uh, six or seven months, basically till the end of the year. Uh, We're in a good position, uh, but we do recognize we want to get to the finish line. So, you know, this is a concern we have that we want to, to make sure we use our money prudently, uh, I'd also advise people to remember, we have an MOU Sumitomo Corporation to look at various ways of financing things. Mm-hmm. Now, Beaton's Creek is, like I said, ready for, for the dance. Uh yeah. the could be advanced in theory very quickly if, if things work out right. Uh, you know, comment well, uh, and Purdy's reward might take a bit of time you know, like we did at Beaton's Creek, but they also will come to fruition. You know, it's basically all the horses are in the track.
2: It's a matter of seeing which one hits the finish line first and, and starts generating cash flow for us. All right, well, your share price is around 2 bucks a Canadian right now. It's down like most of them are. Most of the gold shares that I'm following uh, are down right now. The, nobody seems to be terribly interested in gold shares. With all this activity going on, it seems like uh, investors are going to have a lot to, to look forward to this over the next several months. And uh, a lot of drivers here, Quentin.
0: There are, I and mean, we're very excited. I'm, I'm heading down again. I was just got back from Australia a few days ago. I'm heading straight back down in a couple of days so we're excited we're doing lots of
2: work thank you very much quentin for being with us again it's really an exciting story i'm really really pleased that you spent your time with us to help our listeners understand what's going on down there certainly jay anytime uh, folks uh, don't go away because uh, dan oliver is going to be back with us right after uh, the break to talk about the dollar and the problems that he envisions for the dollar and that should be bullish for gold as well so don't go away we'll be right back with dan oliver
4: Rush has begun. Recently, three of the largest gold mining companies announced strategic acquisitions in the Yukon territories. Ahead of them was a group who had already consolidated the key claims covering the historic Klondike Gold Rush into one company, aptly named Klondike Gold Corps. Led by a team of accomplished geoscientists, the company is steadily advancing exploration to reveal the rich source of all that gold. The hunt for the next major discovery is well underway, and Klondike Gold's shareholders are strategically positioned. Stay ahead of the majors and follow klondikegoldcorp.com.
5: Oran Resources is a copper-gold exploration company pursuing the world's next major discoveries. It has seven projects, including two active flagships, Committee Bay in northern Canada and Sombrero in southern Peru. This summer will be one of the most exciting times in Oren's history as the company turns the drill at Sombrero for the first time ever. The project's impressive surface results have identified Sombrero as an analog to one of Peru's biggest mines. Oren is also implementing cutting-edge machine learning technology to unlock its highly prospective gold belt at Committee Bay. Visit OrenResources.com and subscribe to keep up with the company's busy year
0: ahead.
2: Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again Dan Oliver of Murmecan Capital. Thanks for joining me again, Dan. Well, thanks for having me. You know, uh, I want to focus on an article you wrote back in January 14th uh, titled Our Currency and Our Problem. Of course, some water has passed under the bridges since then, uh, but that's what I'd like to focus on because I thought it was really fascinating. Uh, You start out being somewhat concerned that – maybe we're going to experience the same kind of a problem. Well, it wasn't really a problem. It turned out to be very bullish for gold. But the immediate response of gold in 2008, 2009, the credit crash, was uh, that gold also got taken down because, of course, uh, when the margin clerk calls, you have to sell what you're able to sell. And people were able to sell gold to pay the clerk, the margin clerk. Uh, but this time, you're suggesting that maybe it might be a bit different, that uh, you're thinking it might, gold may not be Hit hard on the down, you know, in any kind of a credit crash this time. Could you explain what your thinking is on that?
5: Sure, I think the operative word there is might, right? I mean, usually history does repeat itself, and. And the point I make in the article is that if we look at the dollar system as a system, there's about three, I forget, trillion trillion of base money, it's the monetary base, the Federal Reserve liabilities, balancing $90 trillion of debt. So when there's, a, when there's a credit crisis and you run out of dollars to service your debt, you, you need dollars because if you don't pay your debt back, you lose your collateral. So mm-hmm. you have this giant score, uh, short squeeze on dollars and, and the dollar goes crazy high, all their prices fall because as you say, the margin clerk calls around in dollar terms. You sell what you can not what you want to Mm -hmm. and that's what happened in 2008 and and i always point out though as part of that story if you look at gold in real terms like you you value gold against stocks or against oil or against iron or or copper or anything real gold actually was shooting higher and you know What I do in the gold mining space is I really care about the difference between the input prices, which are determined by base commodities, and gold, the output. So that's actually a good time for gold margins in terms of gold. It's a yeah. bad time for gold in terms of dollars. If you have dollar debt, you've got major problems. So that, that, that's been the pattern. That wasn't just 2008. That's been the pattern going back for decades. And the point I made in the, in the article is that there are a couple of things that suggest that might not happen. It might, but it might not. And, and one of the reasons it might not is, first of all, gold going into 2008 was in a parabolic uptrend. So you had all kinds of uh, uh, debt based investors people who have taken up dollar loans to buy gold and they got cleaned out. Gold has not been in a, a parabolic uptrend as we all know. Yeah, for sure. 11 years. So, so you don't have the same market structure of lots and lots of longs that are levered long gold. In fact, if anything, a lot of the managed money is levered short gold. And so in mm-hmm. the margin clear calls, they, they got to buy gold. So that's one difference. But the, the, the more fundamental major difference to me is when you look at the dollar as the dollar system right one of the things people notice you know correctly so is you look at gold in terms of other currencies Canadian dollars Australian dollars I mean Turkish lira uh, basically anything else it, it's near its all-time highs or breaking out going higher so it's really only in dollar terms that it, that is, is not doing that and that's of course because the dollar is the global currency to finance debt I mean as I said before you've got all this debt in dollar terms which is why people demand dollars and so the question you know why is that and that that system got going really in the bretton was the era before that it was the the, the pound sterling that was the global standard and world war ii shifted that to the dollar standard and the reason there were three reasons why that happened one was economic the u.s was was by far the global powerhouse especially coming out of the of the world war where everything else is in ruins uh, secondly we were the large creditor nation and so countries that wanted to borrow money to re, to rebuild themselves had to borrow on dollar terms because we were the only country standing, and then third was was military. Mm-hmm. The, the U.S. at the point at that point had basically the only military uh, worth anything in the war I and mean, the Soviets and, and and us, and so those are the three pillars really. And if you think about what has happened to those three pillars over the ensuing decades, what's happened is that. Uh, in terms of uh, military uh, affairs, the U.S. is no longer completely dominant. You know, the, 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 the Chinese and the Russians have been developing hypersonic missiles that uh, we against which we have no defense. Uh, you know, the Obama administration spent eight years deploying general neutral bathrooms instead of trying to yeah. develop next generation missile technology, yeah. military technology. So, so, so we really, I mean, there are, you know, uh, think tanks in Washington, the Harris Foundation had a piece that basically within five or 10 years, the U.S. military will lose our advantage in all sorts of different categories of, of military effectiveness. And that doesn't mean that it can invade the U.S. It just means that it's harder for us to project power out in the world the way we've been used to for, for, since Bretton Woods, essentially. Secondly... The US has gone from being the biggest creditor nation to the biggest debtor nation. Uh, and, and so mm-hmm. we, we don't have the, the capital we had back then to order people around. And then thirdly, financially, you know, we're, we're still there in terms of most global debt is still done in dollars. But the euro has been chipping away at that and, and China is trying to create a, a Chinese currency zone in, uh, where, where they are. And, the, you know, foolishly, the, the US used its power to kick countries out of the SWIFT system like Iran. Uh, which, which, you know, regardless of what Iranian whether policy brings to Iran, it, it sent a signal to Russia and other countries that using dollars is very, very dangerous. And so, again, Russia and China are two big rivals, have been busy setting up their own financial uh, infrastructure, which then they want to deploy regionally. So, we're, we're losing all the sort of financial back. And so, when you look, when you look at it, you say, well, you look around the world, you, say, you know, Argentina's economic policies aren't really all that different from ours, right? mm-hmm. And, right. and so, so, so why is their currency completely collapsing and, and ours isn't? And, and the answer is, again, because of those three pillars I mentioned coming to Bretton Woods. But to the extent those go away, I, I think the U.S. winds up in the Argentina position at, at, at some point if we could keep going down this path. And so, so that's, that's the larger reason why in, in a panic in the past, of course, everyone ran to dollars for those reasons. And to the extent that those reasons are, are no longer operable, Ah, uh, there will be a point again. I don't know if it's going to be this coming panic or or an ensuing one, but there will be a point where the panic takes the dollar down and 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 not up and gold goes flying higher when when this all happens. So that 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 was the point of the paper. Just thinking about just more deeply the the structure of these of markets and the structure of currency, and and the fact that again I always come back to to look at the gold price is really the wrong way to do it. The the reason why the market has selected gold as money for the past four or 5,000 years because it's so stable. And so really you should be looking at other prices in terms of gold. So the U S dollar is very strong right now in terms of gold because these reasons, and and that may not persist.
2: Mm -hmm. Well, regardless, uh, you know, whether or not we see the short squeeze on the dollar, the dollar is maintained as a result of this short squeeze, um, you know, strong dollar, because everybody has to sell whatever they bought in dollars to pay back the margin clerk. Um, You know, as you point out in your letter, you say, and I quote, if the dollar's value cannot be maintained by an international short squeeze, the markets will look instead to the Fed's balance sheet. And the story there is dire, end of quote. So I guess what you're saying then is those three pillars, to the extent they break down, that could be the reason that um, uh, that is different this time, I guess, right?
5: Well, 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 that's right. So all all a bank really is, is a balance sheet, right? And again, the, 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 quintessential example is the Bank of Amsterdam, which opened its doors in 1609. You show up with your gold coins. They give you notes that represent those gold coins. And so there's a one-to-one relationship between the notes and the gold. And so when you when you wonder, hey, what are my notes worth? You look at the assets of the bank. And, and the fact is the central bank is really not relevant to the question because economics trump politics at the end of the mm-hmm. day. Uh-huh. So all the Fed is is a balance sheet. Now, again, for long periods of time, depending on how powerful the, the politics or the country is, you can have politics override that, and so uh, that's what we've had. We haven't had economic forces shaping the value of the currency for the past 60 years. has been these political factors, military, financial, and, and economic, but to the extent that those go away... Then what you have left is, you say, well, what, what is a dollar at its essence? What is it? And again, as you know, originally in 1792, the First Currency Act, it was defined as a certain number of grains of silver, uh, and, and that was shifted to gold in, I think, 1900. But what is it now today? And what it really is in its essence is a unit of liability of the Federal Reserve. And so you say, okay, that's, that's nice. Well, what are the assets that's backing this liability? And, and, and through most of its history, the answer would have been physical gold, Ah, uh, commercial invoices—not debt, but invoices—and uh, and short-term government debt. You know, three months, six months, thats that sort of short-term. Well, now mm-hmm. those assets are uh, mortgage-backed securities, yeah. unknown duration, thirty-year uh, government bonds. I think the average maturity is up in the twelve, thirteen-year range. And so you say to yourself, well, "Okay, is that valuable? Is is the debt of Congress, which has this incredible?" a uh, budget deficit and, and debt have any value, especially in a rising interest rate environment? And the answer is going to be no. And so, again, as long as the dollar maintains its value as a political entity, those things don't matter a whole lot. But when the politics, when the power behind those politics started eroding, then all of a sudden, the market would look at the economics and say, hey, what
2: what is the Fed's balance sheet look like? And and, and the answer is it looks pretty bad. So let's talk about... Um you know what might—I mean—in your article, you stated uh, that uh, that the U.S. policymakers might enjoy a strategic advantage by a radical devaluation of the dollar. And so, let's help help our listeners and me understand those pillars start to fall apart, and so the policymakers might might switch their thinking in terms of what's the best way out of this mess.
5: Yeah, that's exactly what happened in the 70s, right? I mean, the, the, the US for a long time ran a strong dollar policy, and politicians from Kennedy and Johnson said, oh, you no, know, we'll never devalue the dollar. It's a symbol of American strength. And, and it was true. Uh, but but the US accumulated so many debts during the 60s and, and the early 70s mm-hmm. under Nixon that finally the only way to get out of those debts was to devalue the currency. We owed Europe tons of dollars. We didn't have the money. And so we said, hey, you know, we're going to devalue the dollar. And uh, and then reestablish it on a debt standard instead of a gold standard. Uh, and, and so we have a very similar situation now where now the debt is, of course, orders of magnitude larger than it was in the 70s. And we can't possibly pay it back. And and then also, but the point I'm making the article is that other actors now are now piggybacking on the dollar system. So China has a bunch of dollars, and they lend them out to these troubled countries like Kenya and Pakistan and these places, knowing that they're going to default. And then when they default, they take strategic assets like ports and and. and uh, you know, air, airports and things, strategic things like that. And so, it, it may, there may come a time where U.S. policymakers think to themselves, you know what, the only way out of this trap we've constructed for ourselves in terms of the amount of debt and in terms of people like China piggybacking on our system is to devalue it. And, th- and that would allow through a countries to pay off China in, in devalued terms. So, it, it, it would hamper Chinese imperial for a time. It would also allow the, uh, the U.S. government to pay back its debt in nominal terms. And, and you know, of course, as you know very well, th- this is always the end uh, result of, of, of uh, uh, countries that wind up too much debt, the Romans did this, right? They kept debasing the, their silver currency until there was nothing left, and that was the only way they could afford to pay the military and the bureaucrats. And, and so there's nothing new about this policy. The only, the only newness is when, when do the policymakers wake up to the fact that they are trapped and they have to do something dramatic to keep the show from, from going forward. And and I think the answer will be when the financial markets collapse and they can't fund themselves because tax revenue dries up, uh, they may say to themselves, hey, the only way forward is to start printing the money like big time, you know, helicopter money.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, and, 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 and very very possibly. I mean, it seems to me that the the Chinese, for sure, and some other countries started to become concerned about the dollar big time after the, uh, the last financial crisis. And I'm wondering, Dan, um, I think you would probably agree with this, that in order to have the world's reserve currency, you have to orchestrate chronic deficits so that you're always putting out a, a massive amount of money floating around the, a, a massive amount of your currency floating around the globe so that uh, there's enough liquidity. I mean, one of the excuses that everybody gives why the dollar can never not be reserve currency is that there will be an ever, that there's there's just no other currency that can compete in terms of liquidity and uh, and so forth. But I, it, um Hugo yeah, that, that was that, yeah, that,
5: that right. was that was Minsky's point right and I completely uh-huh. disagree with that I mean th- that is the case if your currency is based upon a debt system right because uh-huh. de- debt compounds exponentially over time and you need more and more dollars to continue the system from blowing up if your currency is based on an equity system ie gold there's plenty of liquidity for gold uh, and, and gold derivatives and uh, I, I don't mean paper gold like uh, in, in London kind of thing but what, right. what I mean is Fact, physical the physical sitting in a bank and people have claims to the gold and the equity right. claims trade, there's plenty of liquidity. And that gold to be much higher prices today to, to make yes. it happen, which will happen at some point when the system breaks down. But So I, I, I disagree that a reserve currency is, is, is it necessarily has to be based on debt. And therefore, you have to increase its quantity exponentially to keep this is blowing up. Well, that, I mean, you're, that's the
2: system we have, but that's a bad system. Yeah, that's the system we have. Under this current system, though, you have to keep pumping more uh, currency out there in order to Correct. retain. But then the problem, Dan, that I see is we see the, all the charts show gro- debt is growing exponentially while uh, GDP, if you even believe the numbers, are growing in a linear fashion. So clearly you don't have to be a rocket scientist to understand that system's going to break down sometime. And now it's even growing more rapidly under Trump. He's spending more than... Uh, every every president seems to spend more than the previous president. So, um, so a very interesting... Picture that I don't know you know Hugo Hugo Salinas Price he pointed out that over the last uh, I think it was six or seven years the U.S. cumulative deficit trade deficit increased by over three three point six trillion. And yet the amount of money that's in the central banks, the amount of dollars that held by central banks, actually declined by about 4%. His theory is that already what's happening is the central bank of China and others, perhaps, but China being the dominant one, is, uh, you know, is, is buying gold with those dollars and leaving it in the hands, perhaps, of other Chinese citizens. And then they use that money and go out and buy assets around the world, and that the Chinese may be backing out of the dollar system that way. Does that sound like it could be? Uh, I, I
5: mean, I, I think I think the Chinese have gotten a lot of mileage playing the our system, so I, I don't think they're going to be the ones to, to, to torpedo it. I do uh-huh. think that they've been buying a lot of gold because they're clever enough to know that its it, it days are numbered, and so that they want to play it both ways. As long as the dollar system keeps going, they'll, they'll keep exploiting it for their own purposes, and then when it blows up, they'll have gold in reserve to fall back on, and that's a very sensible policy. I think Russia is doing the, the exact same thing. Um, so, I, I, and, and also, I would point out that. Don't forget, central banks aren't really the main sources of money creation. The main sources of money creation are the commercial banks, the private banks. They're the ones who lever up assets and do maturity mismatch and have fractured mm-hmm. back and all that business. The, 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 the function of the Fed is to run in and save them when they blow up. That, that's their function. So they don't need to print the money as long as the commercial banks are willing to increase leverage, what they are, which they are doing. So the, their, their role comes later when they've got to print the money to, to backstop them when they blow up, and that's probably not too far off.
2: Dan, with just a couple of minutes left, it, with respect to uh, the gold mining industry, which I know you pay a lot of attention to, uh, you made the point in one of your recent missives that um, at $1,300, most of the mining companies make enough money to uh, to pay good salaries and pay their debt, but there's not a whole lot more left over. What do you think we need in in the way of a of a gold price to make uh, to make the gold mining industry some place that people want to put their capital in again?
5: Well, I think over thirteen hundred. I think you. I mean, look. I mean, I'm not a chart guy, but it's pretty obvious. Once we cross thirteen fifty, thirty seven, whatever the number is, we're going to go shooting higher. And at that point, what'll happen is, you know, and the way markets work is, when you don't need the capital, it all comes out of the woodwork. Yeah. So, so right when gold hit fourteen fifteen hundred, and the industry can self fund itself, then you'll find all well, the third party guys running it. and and that's when you get a big, big spike in, in valuations. It's been painful waiting for that. It's going to happen. Uh, when I don't know, but it, but it will because. Gold always goes up in terms of currencies that uh, the government is uh, running deficits on so it's just a matter of time
2: the last credit crisis of course China was there in a big way with massive amounts of stimulus and that yeah. sort of in- increased uh, commodity prices around the world it helped to pull to pull us out of the uh, out of the dungeon so to speak uh, meantime as we just noted they've been increasing their, their largest gold producer they've been importing huge amounts of gold from around the world uh, and uh, do you think that they may not be there to send us a safety, a safety, uh, a, a safety uh, whatever you call that thing they throw out on the water uh, to save people that are drowning? You think the yeah, Chinese?
5: The, the, the Chinese are not altruistic, right? Yes, <laughs> Nate. They looked around the world; everything was super cheap, and their like, commodities were on the floor, and they had money, so they bought them all. The problem is their economic model is even crazier than ours is, right? They spent the last 20 years building ghost cities and full-scale replicas of Paris and New York and all that crazy things. Everyone owns four apartments. They live in one of them. So so I, I don't think China's going to be there because I think they're on the verge of blowing up as well. Some of their banks are rolling over finally. The economies are letting some of these companies blow up for the first time. So I, I the chances that the Chinese can muster another credit response
2: to build the world out, I think is very, very slim. Um, 30 seconds left. What should we be looking for in terms of Fed policy that to tip, uh, to figure out which way this might go?
5: Well, I was just, I think before we started, the, the, if you look at the uh, yield curve, uh, it's just going negative again. And it does that yeah. usually right before there's a big financial crisis. And because financial dislocation is bigger than ever, I think the, lo- the the crisis is bigger than ever. So I think what you want to look for is when do the markets force the Fed to react and start printing the money again? And how do they do it? And I think the, the markets are better than it happens before the end of the year. And that's got to be go- good for gold prices, I think. So, I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm hoping this, this, stock we're in doesn't last too much longer
2: good for gold prices i'm not sure how good it is for our national discourse but that's another issue for another time dan thanks so much for being with us today and uh, helping us understand uh, the really crazy world that we're living in it's great to have you as always thanks Thanks. all right folks well that is all the time we have for this week next week richard mayberry is scheduled to be my guest and ivan bebek of rn resources as well And I think Michael Oliver will probably join me again. So until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you.
1: Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel.